Hey, you got Frank from the Everyday Sniper, and we got a special episode here again. We have Kalen from Gunworks, Kalinsky Consulting, and just all-around great guy, former USMC Scout Sniper. And Kalen wanted to come back on and talk about this past shooting season, everything we've been seeing uh, both online and offline at the various events that we went to. Uh, Kalen was sort of the assistant and um, match director at the Gunworks match. But, uh, Kalen, great to have you on again uh, for part two, I guess, would be our second podcast together. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for bringing me on, man, again. And, and it's always a pleasure to talk about this stuff. It's, you know, it's um, as as you live your life in this world, you know, you get paid to shoot. Like, this is everything, you know, everything's going on at once. And, and, and we see a lot of stuff, man. You travel around. I mean, you just got back from the East Coast. Uh, you're a West Coast guy, yep. but you got back from the – I mean, it, we see a lot going on which sort of forms our opinions on, you know, some of the commentary we make online. Like, you were knee-deep into Phil's free recoil conversation, and, and we were talking about the fundamentals. We're kind of the guys accused of going too far down the fundamental road, which I don't think you can ever go far enough. But um, you're definitely one of those guys. So talk about like the last 30 days of what – because, like I said, we've all been mixed into these conversations. And, and give us your yeah. take on, on what you're seeing. Yeah, so I think, like, starting off with the free recoil thing, um, I think all of that stuff has just been largely taken out of context because, you know, as we all know, not to rehash a bunch of old shit, but it's like, you know, that all started from a picture of an individual that was – free recoil in his rifle and you know as the gear gets more heavy and you, and triggers get more light you can slack on your fundamentals of marksmanship and still get and still hit targets just because you've got the gear to do so and it, it for me it comes to a standpoint of well you know where are we where are we at with progressing our 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 state of the art, right, and, and seeing what's possible. Because every time I go to the range and train, I look at I go I look at it by saying, what can I do with this rifle? What what can I do with this rifle after it's connected to me? And and where, how can I push this rifle and and my personal uh, fundamentals to the limit, and see what's what's really possible? And there's always going to be a drive for that and when you start getting to the point where you're taking away the fundamentals of marksmanship, the application of them, you go, okay, well, what are we testing here? Are we testing the rifle's ability to shoot really small groups? Um, well, then there's already a sport for that. It's, it's called bench rest. They've been around for a really long time. Or are we doing, you know, F-class stuff? There's a sport for that too. You know, this sport that we're talking about is practical rifle skills. And what can we do with a rifle in the hands of somebody who's skilled and knows how to use it under field conditions, right, practical rifle conditions. So I just want everybody to know, like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't progress the sport, but we've, we've got to, like, we've got to evaluate what are we looking to test when we go to one of these rifle matches? Are we looking to test the shooter's ability with the rifle, or are we looking at the rifle's ability to put bullets in insanely small groups? Yeah, totally, and and I tell you what, this is timely as well. Because today I I was convers uh, having conversations with Ashbury, um, Morris over there, and he sent me a quote from Major Land, 
Um, Major Land is, you know, for the guys listening out there, what was the driving force behind Gunny Hathcock. And, and, yeah, we'll get accused of old school going back to the 70s and stuff with Major Land. But Major Land is now kind of transitioned out, and he does a lot of work with the NRA. So there was a quote from him that Morris sent me, and I'm going to read it right now because I think it, it, it says a lot. It says um, – Are you talking about, you talking about Neil Morris? Uh, no, um, uh, Morris Peterson from Ashbury. Oh, okay. Got it, got it. Yeah, so he does a lot with uh, with Major Land and stuff, Ashbury Arms over there uh, in Virginia. But, yeah, so it says um, – this comes from Major Land. It says, I spent seven decades involved with firearms, from hunting and marksmanship training to shooting rifles as a competitor and an instructor – as being a sniper in combat, uh, again, Land was the driving force behind Hathcock. Um, he, he says, I follow a few, sim- a few simple rules that have not changed over my career. Keep it simple as one, stick to the basics, and use technology to only supplement the basics. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of what's going on where we have this technology where, you know, um, the CNC machines and everything we're doing, our equipment is better than it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. We're, we're getting better equipment because our processes are getting better. So, yes, we want to take advantage of, of those advancements. We want to then move our marksmanship skills up to the level of the rifle and not let the rifle do all the work, which is exactly what you're saying and is what you're seeing. And, and there's definitely a cause and effect. And I think when we look back at this last year of shooting, uh, how many matches, because you shot a couple but not a lot. How many matches do you think you shot this year? Um, let's see. Probably six. Um, two, of them are, two of them national matches. Um, I took I took kind of a step back. I I got really busy and starting a new business, and um, the last few years at Magpul kept me really busy. So I, I ended up having to take kind of a step back from that and uh, up from shooting rifle matches quite a bit. And um, you know, so I've been kind of watching it from afar and kind of doing the you know the trained observer thing and just really keeping an eye on things and seeing what's up and where things are going. Um, just because staying on staying on the forefront of product design, you know, working for Magpul, develop like we were knee deep in the pro chassis at that point in time, and so staying abreast of what's going on while at the same time being a full time professional shooting instructor, you know, even though you're not shooting matches, you're staying abreast of the equipment, right, and and the techniques and the tactics that are being used. Definitely, and and I'm the same as you. I shot six matches this year. Two of them were national. The rest of them were local. And so we are seeing this because if you go on to, like, the hide right now, the number one thing that the guys who are sort of pushing back against our message is saying that the message is coming from a place from people who don't shoot the matches. And I think that's a completely false kind of, uh, you know, fake news. To, to really say that the only people complaining are people who don't shoot stuff. We're seeing a change, and we're seeing this change over time. We, we both came from a similar upbringing, a similar background. We're, we're at a almost, uh, in a way, an equal point in our careers just at different times. Yours, yours is newer than mine in, in a lot of ways, but we've reached sort of that same uh, the, the level in, you know, on the plateau. We're at a certain level. 
And so right. we look at what we see from not only a competitor side, but mostly from an instructor side. And, and we just had that conversation with Phil, and he said the same thing. You know, we look at, you know, the, the critical thinking comes from an instructor. Well, how do I translate what I just saw to students to either learn something better or to not make that mistake? Exactly. It's just because we're just because we're not shooting those those events all the time doesn't mean that um, you know from an instructional standpoint we're we have to look at things extremely critically because like you said our main goal is to is to translate information and communicate information so you have to you have to look at it way more critical than that and and uh, 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 something we both saw we've both been talking about both online and offline is is this the safety issue i mean the series have grown so big so fast two series you know multiple matches or, or more people from a, a much broader background of competitors are now shooting these events and as a natural thing we're seeing more and more issues of safety come up um you know with the trend of heavy rifles light triggers you know the the manipulation and the management of your your stage build and your uh, almost the employment during the stage has to change to meet these technology changes yet i don't really think we're seeing the safety meet the the practicality of what's taking place and and you know like i said i, I think that's kind of a place you and i have, have settled on in the last you know two weeks Yes, so I think that this is, I think that the safety stuff, because when I, when I started coming back into, into matches more, and since the sport has grown so much, we have such a, a higher volume of shooters that are coming through, and it's like people that are wanting to get into the long range game, that's awesome, like the more the merrier. But the, the thing that we have to remember is that, you know, the, the sport originated based around, uh, creating an outlet for, professionals, law, law enforcement and military professionals that carry a rifle for a living to test and evaluate their skills. And so it's since morphed into what we see it today, and that's awesome. It's a fantastic progression. But the the other thing is it's an influx of, of shooters that don't always necessarily have a lot of experience working with a loaded firearm in close proximity to other people. And if you're just coming into the sport, you haven't received any formal training, you haven't received any, you know, you're not a military guy, you're not a law enforcement guy, so you haven't had safety with a firearm literally beaten into your skull uh, you're, because that's your tool, right? That's what you use, and so it's very, very important that you understand the gravity of the situation in the event that you have a mishap. And that's pounded into our skulls from the time we're little Padawans in the military. But I think what you have... a uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to say definitely. I mean, it, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, you go, and so you take a guy that like maybe his only maybe his only interaction with with hunter with with safety comes from a hunter education class, and who knows, you know, if you're not used to working in close proximity to other people with a loaded firearm, it, it's it's different, right? It's it's different. You, you know, you have other people around you. It's not just you on the range. Um, or if you're, you know, decide to go up a logging road and, and go shoot by yourself, there's really no risk. Um, and I think that 
seeing a large influx of that type of shooter um, or, they're, or they're getting training from uh, some organization that really doesn't harp on safety very much. Uh, that's a, that's a big deal because what that hap- what happens that's a snowball effect and it's going to translate into some something bad happening to somebody uh, when you know a rifle was supposed to be clear and it wasn't or somebody got really careless with muzzle awareness and has a ten ounce trigger and and oh you know all of a sudden somebody's got an extra hole in them right and and and, and to be you know to kind of go back historically. I, I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but, uh, you know, to let everybody else go. I was at K&M, which is now core. I was down in Florida early, early on, going years, years back when they first started up. And they were doing one of the early PRS events down. And I was there when a guy shot himself in the leg with a handgun during a stage. Okay, they had a handgun stage. It was, a, it was from a holster draw, which normally during these, you know, precision rifle events, the handgun stages are more like fight to your rifle or, or fight, you know, away from something. And we never did the draw stuff early on. But that this particular event, there was a draw uh, stage. New shooter, no experience. His buddies, hey, come on out. This is great. This is fun. He drew too fast. He, 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 he lit one off in the holster and he grazed his leg. I mean, he walked away from it. But at the same time, that ended handgun down there for these events and it was shortly after that you saw all the handgun stages and most of these masters go away because they knew they couldn't control safety that well and rather than address it they just got rid of it and i kind of think i'm you know we're starting to see a little bit of that happening with these rifles now you know the number of nds the number of different things that are going on and 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 it, it needs to be, there has to be these bigger briefs again. There has to be a bigger focus on safety because we have a, a lot of new people in close proximity with one another. And it, and it just, it, it, it could be a perception thing. It might be a hundred shooters. We got one guy's an issue. That's one guy too many. That's and right. And everybody has, the, everybody has the right to come out to any type of shooting event and and shoot in a safe environment, right? Everybody's got that, got that right. They should, that you should, that's, that should be a given. Right. So, I mean, it, and from my perspective as a, as a firearms instructor, uh, you know, if a student has a safety violation like that, um, an ND, regardless, it's, sorry, man, it's time for you to go. Um, can't, I can't have that. But as far as, like, muzzle awareness, if i got to remind you more than twice, um, to have muzzle awareness, you're going to go home because it's just not it's not worth it. It's not worth it, especially for a large company's perspective. It's not worth it from me now being in a small company's perspective where my liability, that's my livelihood on the line. And for match directors too, it depends on what your agreement is with the range or the landowner. You know that that could get that could get bad really fast. From a legal perspective, so yeah, I don't know how many of these matches because we've grown so fast and so big have insurance. You know, we've gone through and gotten insurance and make sure that our our comps have insurance. And from an insurance standpoint, if if your shooter A and and you you have an ND and we just say, hey man, don't do that again. You know, watch your muzzle, watch your trigger, and then we move on to stage ten and somebody gets hurt by shooter A, how do you explain that into the insurance company that I saw him do it once, I let him go, 
and then he did it again and actually hurt somebody. I don't really understand the logistics of that. So well, it's going to be it could very very easily turn into a civil issue at that point too, depending on the severity of the situation. So nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants no, that to deal no. with that. So it's like, all right, so what are we going to do to prevent that? How are we going to do that? Well, safety. Safety is a big thing. And I know there's been a lot of talk um, after the finale, and I wasn't there, um, but I know there's a lot of talk with both organizations about having some, you know, revamping safety safety rules and regulations for the series um, and those respective organizations. And I think that's a good thing because, um, you know, something's, something's got to, Something's got to give there with uh, with safety. You know, walk, seeing guys walk around with, uh, you know, muzzles down. You know, it's the classic, right? The guy throws a rifle over his shoulder and grabs, you know, muzzle down and grabs the muzzle brake or the muzzle device, and that's the way he's walking around from stage to stage. That, you know, for me, I see that all the time, and that's an absolute no-go with regard to safety. And you're going to flag people. You're going to flag all kinds of people, and, you know, then everybody's like, well, what's the limit of flagging? What do we get? You know, where, where's the threshold? Where's it cross the line? From my perspective, as soon as the rifle comes out of the case, um, you know, and you are in positive control of it, then muzzle awareness is 100% all times. And yeah, you're responsible for flagging. But it's, uh, I think we should have something similar to like what IDPA, USPSA does, um, IPSC. You know, you got a guy that's running the timer. Um, his sole responsibility is to run the timer, make sure that you execute um, your, your course of fire free of safety violations, and making sure that when you're done with that course of fire, you got a complete, uh, clear and safe pistol, and you put it in the holster with the hammer down. And then you go, then you go away, right? Then you go, go do your thing. But for us, I think on the precision rifle side, you know, we could look at that and say, okay, so that's that guy's responsibility is, as soon as you're done clearing the stage or shooting the stage. You know, he says, hey, let me see your chamber, you clear and safe. Then he gives you your chamber flag back and you stuff the chamber flag in there and walk away. So there's that kind of, I think that control measure would be very, very simple to implement. Yeah, I mean, it, for, for sure. And, and I think it comes down to that the, 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 there's no system for ROs, really. They, they, there needs to be a better system to educate the RO. I mean, just, and, and not to harp on it, but just to go back at, at the finale part, but uh, I saw the video, and the RO didn't react to the rifle falling, you know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so, so there needs to be a range officer program. I mean, the range officer's number one job should be safety. If because mm-hmm. of the fact that a lot of these matches can't fill the ROs that they actually need, the RO is just there as a scorekeeper. Instead of right. safety, where it needs to be a little bit more the other way. If you need a scorekeeper, get a scorekeeper. I'd almost rather another competitor who's on deck be the scorekeeper and the RO be watching the shooter than the I RO agree. being on glass and missing what the shooter's doing. Because, I mean, clearly there was a disconnect between the squad and what happened in that nobody really wants to be the bad guy. You don't want to have to be in a, squ- a squad with, with 10 guys and point your finger and go, hey, man, you know, John over there, he messed up. He's got to go. Nobody wants to be that guy, and we all get it. Nope. Yep, everybody does. I mean, and I mean, the cool thing about peer evaluations is that they're extraordinarily effective uh, in situations where they're used correctly. 
But we all know that, like you said, nobody wants to be that bad guy. And, you know, I don't think that there's, I don't think that that would be the right answer for the situation. It just, you have to have somebody there that's, that comes from a non-biased officiating, you know, quote unquote officiating position. And there's got to be some formality. And I know there are talks about that too, getting ROs trained, like establishing a training package for ROs. Um, not only for, you know, for safety, obviously, but then, you know, how to observe and um, things like that. So that's not, that's coming. And, and I think this is all part of the evolution of the sport, right? So you, you come to a, you come to a point or you have an event happen and you're like, oh, okay, well, we never thought of that before. Now we gotta, now we gotta figure out how to, how to approach that and correct it. And that's what's happening, I think. I mean, yeah, and, and I think it's gonna up. be different for, you know, I talked to Shannon this uh, last week, and, um, you know, he totally changed the rule right there. Uh, and it was exactly what you just said. They they looked at the rules and what, it, you know, what transpired, and they went, oh, gee, that's not in there. We missed that. And it's, mm-hmm. it happens. I mean, you can't think of every single situation. You try to put in as many as possible. But, you know, that's one of the first things they did is, hey, we gotta we got to close that loophole. And, and really – you know, we're not trying to be ugly about it. We're just getting people to think. We're getting people to to go outside of their own situation where they may say, well, the my three buddies are safe. We don't worry about it, but it's not about you. It's about the people you don't know. It's about the other guy. How many and, times How many? How many times in this world of firearms, you know, have we heard, oh, it's, it's never given me a problem, yeah. right? It's, it's never going to give you a problem until it gives you a problem, and then – Usually in our world with firearms, if if you got a problem like that, it's going to be serious. Yeah, well, in, in I, I believe you did. Have you ever shot the competition dynamic stuff? Yeah, I, that's actually that's like my favorite match format. I've shot that. I've shot the steel safari several times, and I I you know okay. So in that situation, you're you're kind of self-regulated, right? You get a card and it says, hey, you're stepping off it at eight twenty in the morning. And you just start walking, right? And they've got it spaced out. And then the second shooter steps off at 8.30 or something like that. And that the shooter before you, after he finishes that stage, now becomes your RO. So I think it's a really effective scenario. And aside from one, and I mentioned this on a forum, uh, on one of the groups, I said, you know, aside from one major, like, high-level or high, highly visible uh, situation where a guy got caught cheating, um, they, we've never had any issues with that, with, with uh, you know, doctored scores or anything like that. It's always been pretty straightforward. Yeah, it, but did, did they do a drop test on your rifle? Because I know Zach is pretty big on that to check your triggers, yep. that they bounce the butt stop on the rifle to make sure it doesn't fire because you're moving far distances over uneven terrain mm-hmm. under time and there's a lot of room for slipping and falling and different things. Not that you'd be running around with a hot rifle. But, I mean, I notice it in classes and stuff. With guys going lighter triggers, they'll slam fire in a way, even with the bolt action. If you close the bolt too fast or too hard, they can drop the firing pin. I've seen people with the bolt closed and moving the magazine will make the rifle fire. There's a hang-up in there. I don't even know what the you know, technical term, why it, it, it happened. But I have seen a guy have, like, an ND that was mechanical. And 
he was like, dude, I was nowhere near the trigger. What's going on? And we figured it out where the magazine movement released it. And so there's probably, all these... Probably lifted, probably, probably lifted the bolt body. Um, and, it, you know, you start adjusting triggers down that low, depending on the design. You know, if the sear engagement isn't, um, isn't enough or you've taken out so much travel that you can't have enough sear engagement, that's where you're going to have that problem. Exactly. So that's kind of the point I'm, I'm getting around is, is what, you know, we're, we're eight ounce triggers with 26 pound rifles. And if you bounce that on the ground, it's going to fire. Uh, you know, even like I, I, at Shot Show, I went to the Bix and Andy booth when their stuff came out. And the first thing I did when he handed me the rifle and he said, try my trigger is I dropped it on the ground and it fired. And the guy looked at me and he goes, oh, you know that trick. And I'm like, well, it's really not a trick, but it's a safety thing for what we do. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, and, and, and all this stuff ties in. And the one point I want to push on to people is it's not about the person. It's not about the individual. It's about the, the group, the perception. It's about the direction of travel we're going in. And it's not about falling out one guy. That's not what yep. I'm looking to do. That's not what we're looking to do. But we want people to think about these different elements in, in you know, from a match director standpoint. At what point in a match do you say, maybe this stage design was bad because I have, you know, guys with issues that, sh- that shouldn't have issues? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, so it, it, I, I think we have to look at that. Yeah, and you know, if, if you, if you've got, um, so, so yeah, competition dynamics, back to that real quick, they, they, when I was shooting those, they were spot checking rifles. So, it wasn't everybody's rifle that got checked, um, but they were spot checking guns. So, when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the heavyweight rifles with, with lightweight triggers, um, I got in, like somebody was trying to explain to me, um, that there's a method of, they're calling it, it's like sky loading. And I was like, hey, can you explain that to me? What is that? I've never heard that term before. And uh, it was basically described to me that you you don't even close the bolt until you have a sight picture on the target. And I was like, well, that's not really, I guess I could see where you're going with that, and they're trying to use that as a safety mechanism and I think they're trying to use that as a safety mechanism because of the fact that those triggers are so light and you get to a point where if you're moving too fast, you know, you, you throw a bolt down and you're bringing your hand back to that trigger and, and you're moving super fast, you lose awareness of where your trigger finger is and you touch that trigger, the gun's going to go bang. Um, and that's a negligent discharge because you lost awareness of where your trigger finger was in relationship to the trigger. Um, and still, like... It, we should be using the mechanical safety in there as well. So it's just weird all across the board. And I was like, I don't think I could ever get, like, I'm pretty far down the road when it comes to weapons manipulation techniques. Um, I'm not saying that I can't learn something new, but, man, it would take me an awful long time to, to, to make that change. But I don't really see the merit in that. As long as you're adhering to the four firearm safety rules, there's no there's no reason where you should have to utilize that bolt um, as a safety mechanism. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm guilty of it, but I because my triggers are never that light. I don't use a really light trigger, although I'm getting lighter as we go. Um, but I, I'm definitely one on like a barricade where I position the rifle and I do all my external movements before I close the bolt. But then I line up, well, I'm closed and I line up and, and I don't, especially like with the AI, I got a two-stage trigger with the AI and I can touch it all day and it's not going to fire um, until I wanted to. But I, I am one where from a safety standpoint, I get my movement done before I close the bolt. And, and that's just in situations where I am moving from position to position. So you, you take the shot, bolt up, mag out, or they don't do mag out, but bolt up. Then I'll go over and, you know, once I'm settled in, then I, I run the bolt and close it, and then I line up. But I have seen exactly what you're talking about, where guys will use the bolt as their form of safety because, like you said, the triggers are just so light. They, they know they can't be trusted. So they've mm-hmm. gone into this yeah. other direction. But, I, you know, part of it is, again, it's, it's education. And we come from an education – in shooting, we come from an education background. I think that the fact that they don't do train-ups anymore, so new shooters can't even come in and, and do a train-up to learn a little bit more at a match. You know, there used to be where, you know, like at the rifles-only stuff, we used to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday – take Thursday off, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday was the, was the competition. Well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was a train-up, and we'd have 25, 30 people in the train-up, and especially new people who never shot a match before. Then they're much more prepared. Well, of course, then the gaming happens, and then the really good competitor shows up and practices and then does well in the event, and everybody who couldn't take that amount of time off, you know, cry foul. So the next, the next answer is no more train-up because it's cheating. Oh, well, well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, um, but sure. <laughs> you, you, right? But do you see kind of where, we're, where, where we're, we're, we're getting rid of something because of a top ten guy mm-hmm. that, that helps the bottom ten guy? You know, because there is, I mean, we want, they, their, their number one goal for any of the series, and, and again, it's not, a, it's not a personal thing, but if you ask them what your series about, it's to grow the sport. But then they take away a tool that helps educate and grow the sport. Right. So that, you, exactly. you know, that, that, that's kind of, it, it, it's like, okay, are we going to grow the sport? Well, if we're going to grow the sport, we should educate the consumer, which for them is the shooter. Exactly. Yep. It's and man, it's uh, the, the perception of safety is is I, I got it. I asked. I had a conversation with with a guy that we were having a discussion about. You know, what's the difference between an ND and what's your definition of an ND? And it's like, man, it's really simple. The gun went bang when you didn't want it to, or you weren't ready for it. Yeah. So it's pretty cut and dry. So, and and a lot of times it depends even on what like what if your eye is in that is in that scope and you've got a sight picture, and you just press the trigger when you didn't want to, that's different. That's just breaking a a dirty shot or or a bad shot, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but I, I guess I would determine it then if you were in your if you were in your optic or you were fighting with a position or something, and you lost awareness of where your trigger finger was in relationship to the trigger, then yeah, that's an MD, and the only one who's going to know that really is you. It, well, especially because the RO's got his head in the glass and he's not watching you. Mm-hmm. Where you and I can see somebody fire when they didn't mean to and go, oh, for okay, sure. yeah, I see you, dude. But, you know, everybody in a match, if there's 100 shooters, there's a 100 different wobble zones. Mm-hmm. So that wobble zone is a little bit bigger than the target. His wobble zone is inside the target. So if you have a guy who, who's who's skilled, who's uh, experienced, and his wobble zone's inside the target, and then he shoots X amount of feet away from the target, that's not a wind issue, well, then you could say, yeah, that was that was an unintended discharge or negligent one. He didn't mean it to go off, and he was outside of his wobble zone. But like you just mm-hmm. said, you're only going to know that if he tells you, because we can't yep. see what he's looking at. And, and that's where... Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, the safety has to be put upon everybody at the beginning of these events, during these events. There has to be some kind of, you know, check and balance in there throughout the weekend. Yeah, I think we can get there. I think it can get there. It's just going to take, it's going to take, uh, you know, some effort from the leadership. And I can tell you, I can tell everybody that's listening that is happening uh, the leadership is, is, is taking action, um, making changes, and, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking about it, and they're, they're, they're thinking critically about it, too. So it's, it's good. So you're going to see some new stuff come, you know, change for safety in 2019. And, uh, you know, and it's everybody else's responsibility, too. So if you have, if you see an issue, you got to say something because, that the individual that that actually made that mistake, they also need to know that they made a mistake so that they don't do it again. No, it's not totally. like you're being you're not being a, you're not being an ass. You're just saying, "Hey, man, check it out. This is that's not safe, and this is why." And well, we don't do that this way here. It, and that's where it's got to be, man. It's got to be that we're not offending you, pointing out something. We're trying to tighten it up and make the, everything look better and we got to be not so quick to be offended that we pointed to a negative it, you know mm-hmm. yeah can, can we or me especially can i do a better job of pointing to some of the positives absolutely am, am i focused at 2019 to do a little bit better job on that yes i am at the same time <laughs> but don't get offended if there's something so glaring that we've seen for, you know, 15 years that's now being ignored. It's, it's not a personal affront to your manliness to say, hey, man, we should be doing a better job in this part of it, you know, mm-hmm. that we don't have to start making, you know, attack memes going around the block because somebody said that's not a cool thing. For sure. Yep, I agree, 100%. So, hey, and um... I think... I, go ahead. Ahead. I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. No, I, and I think that's gonna. It, we're gonna see that happen, and I think that there's only there's only gonna be, you know, I, I don't think there's gonna be any issue. I don't think there's gonna be any massive pushback with it or not. It's just gonna. It's an evolution, you know. It's uh, as we see things and we see things change. Like I said before, we got to make those adjustments, and that's how we're gonna grow. 
For sure. And, and talking to Shannon, it was so cool. Like, last week, he brought this up. He mentioned safety. He made, you know, rule changes and stuff. But, like, talking to him one-on-one, there's nobody around. There's no Internet. There's none of this stuff going on. He's not giving you platitudes. I've been around guys who, who had his job who, who just, yeah, 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 and and never change anything. He, he really seems like, I'm going to make the positive changes. I, I've heard all the criticism. Okay, now this is, this is, this is, you know, my car to drive and we're going to stay between the lines the way I see it. And we're not going to mm-hmm. call, you know, the bike lane inbounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, 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 and so I, I really think the people out there listening should understand, just like you said, they are addressing it. It is, and, and that's a positive thing. It's just it's got to be everybody. Everybody's an RO. Doesn't matter if you show up mm-hmm. at an event, you're an RO. No, for yeah. sure. Yeah, because hey, it's like it's like any any range safety brief at the end of the four firearm safety rules. Hey, everybody here's a safety officer. If you see an unsafe condition, shout, you know, shout out ceasefire, and you know, then you go through whatever action plan the instructor tells. But Everybody is an RO. It's like everybody has a right to train and shoot and participate in a safe environment, not have to worry about somebody pointing a gun at them. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's for darn sure. And, yeah, no suitcase carries, none of it's the silly stuff that we see going on. And, and you know, but and, and it doesn't go on everywhere. We're, we're talking one or two people. But we do see mm-hmm. it probably every weekend we're out there with 100 guys. You know, there, yeah. And, it, it, so you got a, you got a compact area. Um, you got tons of dudes moving around. At, you know, ladies as well. And, and if those if those people don't have a clearly defined area that they need to be and point their guns in, you know, point their guns in, it, you, people are going to be like, oh well, okay, so well he put his stuff over there, so ah, I guess yeah, sure, I can put my stuff over there too. And you know, before you know it, you got guns pointed everywhere. <laughs> and everybody's right. like, hey, well. What, what's going on? So, and, and I think uh, match directors are going to do a better job of that too next year as well as saying, hey, this is where you need to be. This is where the guns need to be staged until it's time for you to shoot your shoot your stage. Yeah, no, for darn sure. Hey, let's change direction a little bit and go into a, a bit of a training mode. I, I want to throw mm-hmm. some people out there with sort of, like you said, you're going to try to shoot a couple more matches next year. Talk a little bit about your training philosophy for yourself. What do you go out and practice when you know, hey, let's just say, you know, pull something out of, out of our hat there that say, you know, February 15th, you got a, a two-day match. You're going to go shoot. Between now and then, what are you going to work on and practice to shoot that match um, for yourself? Sure, I, I've got a I've got a bunch of different drills and, and I got a I got a sheet of paper. I'm pretty sure you saw it. Um, that my daily training plan. Um, and so I'll sit down for the week and I'll say, all right. So maybe on Sunday night I'll sit down and I'll I'll take a notebook out and my notebook has all of my drills in it. I, I've got all of my drills in one notebook that I've that I jot them down and uh, I'll pull drills from that. And I also take all my old match booklets and I throw those into a drawer. And um, I've been, you know, I pull those out and I say, okay, well, what stage did I really not do so well on? And because every time I come off of a stage and I have a match booklet, um, and if I don't have a match booklet, I just take notes. 
And I, and I immediately debrief that stage so that way I don't lose track of um, the, the debrief points. It's kind of like it's a hot wash right there as soon as I put my rifle down and do a post-fire check. Then I'll take that matchbook and I'll say, okay, well, this one I did shitty on and, and why did I do that? Okay, well, cool. Then I'm going to I'm going to replicate that stage and I'm going to replicate the time limit. Um, and I'm, I mean replicate the stage from the barricade or whatever the prop was. Um, to the steel array. I'll go out there and I'll put the steel out there and, and do it. And I'll run through those stages until I can figure out why I made the mistakes that I made them. And I always start off with a, a fundamental warm-up drill every day. I start off with a, a fundamental warm-up drill. So, like, it could be 10 rounds of dry fire, and then I'll go shoot the 21-dot drill. Um, or, you know, 10 rounds of dry fire, and then I'll go right into um, – uh, a consistency check drill from standing from a barricade. And that for me is, is we shoot, we just, we address the rifle, we build a natural point of aim and we press off one shot and then we disconnect ourselves from the gun. No more shooting groups. We're focused on, you know, building the relationship between us and the rifle. Um, and sometimes I'll do that from a barricade at a paper target at a hundred yards just to, just to get my flow going and just to get me connected with the rifle and, get my head space squared away for the for the training day. Um, and then I'll try to shoot like four stages, you know, four four courses of fire that I've just kind of either pulled from my drill book or pulled from the matchbook or just, you know, um, something that uh, that I just came up with and said, you know, I think this would be challenging. And uh, I hold myself to a time limit and just kind of do a little mock, mock, mock training evolutions. So Nice. Are, are you doing the same target size? Are you going a little bit smaller to kind of, Focus in, even make it a little harder. Yeah, I on the range that I have set up out here, I've got like oh, probably about 140 pieces of steel out there that that are that are spread out, and um, I've got some ranges that I don't move the steel, and, and like on the long ranges, I have like a big 18-inch plate, then I'll have uh, like a 16-inch a plate, and then I'll go all the way down to like a 10-inch plate, so that way a shooter can say. We can really dial in their dope, and we can really get their confidence built by um, shooting a progressively smaller plate. And so, yeah, I'll do the exact same thing. I'll try to train on on the size of the plate um, for the given condition. Now, granted, if it's if it's honking like 25 miles an hour out there, um, I'm probably not going to start. I'm probably not going to train on a on a 10 inch plate at a grand, um, just because it's like you know where are the capabilities with the wind conditions versus the target size, you, you know, all that stuff. So, yep, yep. yeah, um, you you got to shoot at smaller targets. If you're not shooting at smaller targets, you're doing yourself a training disservice. Um, and having the mindset that I'm not just there to get a hit. As far as I'm concerned, like, uh, you know, anything outside favor left, favor right, uh, those imaginary lines on the, on the plate, if I don't get it inside that, um, then it's not good enough for me. I want it. I want it in the middle. So that's that's pretty much how that's pretty much how I do my training plan. Nice, nice. Yeah, I use the same thing. I keep the matchbooks out here. Like I liked your uh, your Gunworks matchbook. I thought it was a nice size. It had nice uh, spots for everything and, and able to use it. And and I've studied that that booklet several times since coming back from it and, and the different stuff. I I. I, I'm the same way with targets. I try to put two to three targets at the same range for people, a, a big target, that sort of feel-good one, and then the fine-tuned, yeah. smaller, which goes into, 
right around the one MOA mark. And sometimes it might be, you know, like four MOA, two MOA, one MOA, because uh, we do have that win. So every now and then we have to throw those bigger plates out there just because that, that crazy win will, will just make it, in, like you just said, an impossible day for, uh, you know, a two-minute or smaller plate. Uh, where, where every other shot is completely different just because the wind gusts are bigger than the dang plate size. Exactly. And, and so, yeah, that, that's something I really like to do. And I'm almost looking at it now where for students, I've always gone, you know, big, you know, from biggest to smallest because they can learn something that way. And I like that in matches too. But now because guys are getting so much better, I almost want to go the opposite direction. Let's do the small target first, and that be your big point main, you know, yep. like that's your, your three-point hit. And then if you miss, then it goes to the bigger one so you can sort of find yourself. So if yep. you're a – Yeah. Right? Yeah, because now you got a guy – like if, if you don't have – if the individual is just training to get a hit on steel, um, and then that's going to that's gonna show when you've – when you give them, hey, in order to get maximum points, you got to hit this really small target, uh, and then you can move on to a bigger target, because that's gonna that's gonna encourage people. Man, I have to get that first win call as close to the center of the target as I absolutely can, um, because you and I both know, you know, the farther off that win call, you know, a missed win call is from center, the harder it is to get that second round impact to correct. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to look at it going the opposite this year. And so in the 2019, I'm going to start working some of those problems in the other in the opposite direction exactly like I said. So we can see and then it, it puts a little bit more challenge on the experienced guy to get that first win call. It's funny, I don't know if you've done this, but we have. We've been sampling like the main competition guys on their win strategy and Almost to a person, they're all edge of plate. It's like, what do you do for win? Well, I hold edge of plate, and then I see what I did. Right. And then I, once I fix it, I don't worry about it anymore. I got it. But Exactly. And it's you might as you might as well just huck a sight around down there then, you know. Now, now, granted, there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, if you have zero clue about what the wind's doing, and it's just a freaking catastrophe down there, yeah, you could burn a you could burn a wind shot. You know, you could burn a cider, um, and but it's not for me at that point in time. It's like that's not really ethical. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's like because I trained, I trained for this for you know for real stuff. You know, I, I mean, I don't get a chance if if I'm trying to take a long shot on an animal. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be as responsible as I possibly can, um, but even. In, un, even under conditions where I'm confident that there's no question I'm going to be able to make that wind call and say a 700-yard shot on, a, on an animal, man, I still have that, always have that, you know, gut feeling of, man, what if I screw this up? This is, I'm playing for keeps now. And I, that's the way I shoot at field targets too. It, it doesn't, my mindset doesn't change from one to the other. And I think that's why I'm, that's why I train myself. No, it's got to hit the center of the plate and that wind call has to be dialed for the first round. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and it's funny too, cause this year, more and more you heard the term, uh, meatball matches. And what yeah. it is, is they figured out where if I put a bigger plate with a higher hit percentage, 
the, the competitor gets more uh, points. Mm-hmm. So if, if you went to a rifles only match and the winner got a fire bank. Yeah, right, many, right? You've been to a couple of them. And, and the winner gets yeah. 55%. Well, that percentage point at the end of the day is going to be smaller than going to another match where the winner got 85%. Exactly. So they figured out that, and, and, and like I said, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it's been figured out that if I make the target a little bit better, get guys, you know, more hits percentage-wise, they'll take home more points, hence they'll enjoy my match more, and we'll get more repeat business. So I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm going in the mindset where, hey, let's go smaller, let's make it a little harder, then, you know, maybe move incrementally, and instead of having one plate at a stage, have two or three, small, medium, and large, and shoot them in that, in that way, because exactly like you said, when, if it's a small plate and your wind calls off just enough where you're not quite sure, that's going to make that correction that much harder, and you may not pick it up until the, the biggest plate. Yeah. So, it, it, depending it, on the background of the target and where, you know, whether or not you can spot your splash, and there's all that stuff that needs to that you need to take into account. And yeah, I mean, you think of the Carl Taylor stuff up in your area. Where, oh yeah, you, know, you got yeah. no chance. You got no chance. You're no. not going to see anything. I've shot, I've shot at Carl's ton, uh, quite a bit, and, and um, I actually did a class up there with Carl with uh, some guys from first group, and, you know, those guys were blown away because they're like, man, I can't even, I can't, number one, it's hard as shit to range the targets, and number two, you know, they're in dark timber, and I can't see my splash, so I have no idea what's going on on some of those targets. And it's a good thing. It's a really good thing because that you're, you're training for a real world situation right there. So that's a great, it's a fantastic training environment. And as far as, go ahead. Yeah, you're good. Um, You know, as far as looking at it from, from a wind call perspective, like if I know, I mean, I've got, I'm fortunate enough. My range is 10 minutes from my house. So if I can look outside and, and say, Man, it's, it's blowing out there today. It's honking. Okay, well, I'm gonna, I usually do my office work in the morning and I shoot in the afternoon. I might flip flop that and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and shoot. I'm gonna take advantage of this wind condition and get out there and shoot. Um, and so yeah, that's like, I, I get, I get, I have that advantage, right? So I'll capitalize on that because it's not just to increase my abilities, it's to, it's to increase my abilities to help my students because that's my, that's my, my, my viewpoint is I'm, I'm here to learn as much as I can so I can pass it on to my students. Um, and I, I think a lot of people look at matches and they're like, well, you know, if we make this target smaller, uh, it's going to be harder. And, and yeah, you're right. It's going to be harder. And people say, well, then the new shooters are, aren't going to hit anything. And I can see it from, I can see this from both, both sides of the perspective. Okay. So granted, you got, you got a bunch of shooters out there and, if you shrink the target size down, it's going to separate the wheat from the chaff immediately. The, the guys that are really, really good at calling wind, they're, they're still going to shoot well. And if, if the guy's a good shooter, even though he does go to a meatball match, um, he's, he's going to be hitting the center of those big giant targets and not the edges under most circumstances. So I don't think that you're going to see a wide, a huge separation. And if you do, then so be it. Then go out there and train some more and learn how to shoot in the wind and, you know, seek some professional training and, and 
have somebody help you with that. And then from the other perspective, the new shooter is not hitting any targets. Well, we have so many club matches out there nowadays. We have so many regional matches. That's where you should be going to learn your skills. That's where you should be going to get squared away and, and get ready to go shoot a bigger match where, or I won't even say bigger, I'll say a higher profile, where you're going to expect those small targets. You're going to expect your skills to get pushed to the next level. And that's what it should be for. That's what it should be about. Use those regional and local matches to train and then come out to a, a you know, a larger profile match and see what it's all about. And if you get, you know, if you get it handed to you, then Hey, just take it as a learning experience and you gotta go, you gotta go learn how to call wind. I mean, how hard would it be in a way to say at your, at any match, you know, here's the target, here's this, here's that. You're, you're a new shooter or whatever and putting a, a plate next to it that the, the, you know, the, the top half of the field never shoots at. Okay, you know? I gotcha. So, so like and, a beginner, and, so you have, yeah. You know, or gamble. Do a gamble kind of thing where, hey, that target is big, it's one point, but this is what everybody else is shooting and it's three points. The newer shooter is going to go for the gamble. We almost always did. I mean, I, heck, the peer pressure alone. You know, I, I've been to matches all over that have gambles, uh, K&M, Core, those guys have gamble matches. And, you know, it's all the top ten guys are shooting the smallest target. There is no way you're going to compete with them unless you do the same thing. But if you're a new yeah. guy, you can turn around. And all it takes is one extra target out of stage to say, that's the meatball target for new people, but this is your primary target. Make it blue, make it pink, make it yellow, whatever the case may be, right. and just say... Because it's not going to get shot very often. Right. But, I mean, it still gives that new shooter an option to not discourage him. Y- you know? Well, I and, dig and, that. I, yeah, yeah, I dig that. I mean, you, you know, you, you, the only problem with that is, well, just making sure that people have enough steel uh, to, to make that happen. Um, but it, the concept is is great. I mean, that's that's perfect. Because yeah, if you're you know if you're if you're in that league and and maybe you maybe you're having a rough day and you're just like you know what man I'm just gonna <laughs> I can't seem to get anything right today. So I'm going to go pound that, that huge meatball target and figure out what my major malfunction is. Right, what's wrong? Well, and, and you know what? And that's the other thing. It'll help when stuff breaks. I mean, how often do you have a match and somebody's equipment breaks and they're not sure where they are? The, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. so if send, I, if send, one every, in, send one into the berm. Right. Well, there's always that. And, and that's the thing that, you know, going back to Carl's place, we're taking information away from the shooter to teach them something. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than just having that berm behind the target and, you know, so you can, so even if they do miss, it's like, okay, I hit the berm right there. Everything's in line. I'm only, I'm only four feet behind the plate. There's no drop to worry about. So my elevation's all good. And all mm-hmm. I'm going to do is slide over and, and, and with my, my, my bad wind call and now I'm going to hit the plate where when you eliminate that information, now they have to start. Oh, thinking. yeah. Now they're learning it's something. Well, that's, and that's what I love about the, the Steel Safari because um, that that match is a true 
that's a true field match, and when you go shoot that thing, you either can shoot or you can't. And it's, if you can't shoot, it's going to tell you right off the bat. You're like, I've been there and, and had, you know, a newer guy that for maybe the first time shooting that thing, and, you know, they're all six-round stages, and a lot of times you're the second or third shooter back, and you hear six shots and one impact, or six shots and no impacts, or six shots and four impacts. It's That's a challenging match because you don't have that backdrop. The winds are squirrely. There's a lot of terrain to deal with, and the targets are super small. And Zach and Ray play nice, you know, friendly little games with you with regard to how good are you at using your rangefinder. So it's an all-encompassing event. And, yeah, you're not going to – it's the same thing with Carl's place. the same exact yeah. concept. And, and, and then don't and, – and the other key thing with Zach and Ray is they don't paint anything. So everything's all yeah. rusty and shot up, and it blends in with the rocks and the terrain out there. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, you've you got all this different, you know, color – and in the middle of it is an unpainted, rusty target. And, it, you know, the smart guys look for the strap when they're hunting for them. But Always. It's yeah, <laughs> the know, only but thing even, you can't conceal. Yeah. And, 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 but you're still, I mean, and they're diamonds. A lot of them are diamonds. And diamonds, man, you're always on that, that drop edge. It's like over the, over the mm-hmm. corner, over the corner, over the corner. It's like, God damn, a diamond, I hate them. You know, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's yeah. that's the kind of the, the the deal, you know, that it 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 lends to learning, and mm-hmm. it's not something that is just so, you know, walk up four feet, drop this on your bag, let the rifle shoot it, hit it, move on, walk up four, and it's the same as one target with a berm, mm-hmm. nicely painted, that, you know. I have an MOA too so, big. Yeah. So the other thing, like, I always look at the, I, I look at the training from a standpoint of trying to simulate, um, or trying to associate a skill with the drill, right? So identify yeah. what skill it is that you're trying to work on, and then you formulate a drill that will replicate that. Um and like, I like my, the consistency check drill thing for me is awesome, especially for unsupported positions, like, um, you know, a barricade or a tripod. Um, I'll walk up to the gun and maybe have a target at, so 960 yards, say, I got a, I got an 18 inch plate at 960. I will, I will walk up to the rifle on the barricade and I will hold myself to a 12 second time standard. Meaning I should be able to walk up to the rifle, address the rifle, obtain an actual point of aim, press the trigger inside of 12 seconds. And people are like, well, that's like super fast. And it's not though. It's really not that fast, but that's a drill that you can, that you can utilize to get yourself more uh, consistent with addressing the rifle and getting an actual point of aim. Yeah, totally. And, and that's part of like the dot drill, the dot drill, the up and down part of it is that 15, 12, 10, 8, 6 seconds where with your rifle on the deck pointed at 100 yards at the at the paper, you're going to drop in behind it and get the shot off on the dot in 6 seconds. So it's, it's pretty similar to what you're doing in that, and, and it's a good way of learning how to build the position and get in and out. I mean, PRS, a lot of those stages are – how efficiently you can get into the position 
get the shot off, and then get out into the next position under that time. You know, how efficient are you in that movement? And, and, and not struggling to, like, go, oh, where's the target? Where's the target? You know, because that's where people waste the time. They run up to a barricade or something, some kind of stage. Then they're hunting for the target and wasting a bunch of time. Then they find it and they get the shot off, and now they have to move to the next target, and they repeat. So they end up losing, you know, almost that 12 seconds per, per shot, just building the position. The other thing that, that I'll tell guys that's really beneficial with, you know, the, the technology age now, uh, man, videotape, videotape yourself while you're shooting. That's yeah. huge. I, I can't stress that enough, man, because, um, you know, Phil and I, we videotape each other at the matches that we've been to, and they're, they're great debrief points because you can see with your own eyes the stuff that you're doing, and like you said, like wasting time. You'll see a guy get up to a rifle, uh, and as soon as he addresses the rifle, he's not looking at the target anymore. He's looking at the gun. Okay, so he's looking at the gun. I'm loading the gun. Got a weapon on safe. I address the rifle. And before they even, they don't even look out an index on the target. They immediately go to glass. And you'll see them. They'll spend 10 seconds trying to find that target in the glass when all they had to do is take their head out of the glass, put the target on top of the elevation turret, get lined up behind the gun, and then get into the glass, and bam, target's there. Whoa. Right. It's going to save you 10 seconds. And, you know, it's a hard habit to break for a lot of people, but practice drills like that big time. Like, if you're in a situation, maybe target identification or location is hard for you. Well, do that in your training. Force yourself to swing that gun 30 degrees left and right to find targets and work on your indexing skills. And when you work on those indexing skills, also work on moving your body so that you can get neutral behind the gun when, and you're going to have a visualization of where you need to put your body behind the rifle before it even happens. Yeah, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, there, there, there is no better advice that anybody can get than that right there on, on how to manage these stages and how to train themselves to do better. Uh, because they are, they're intimidating for new people and, and that's part of it. So breaking them down into that element like that and, and just to the point of can I move up, find the target and engage the target in 12 seconds, you're breaking down every portion of that stage into practicable drills. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so now that's, that's great advice for people. So, and that's, yeah, man, that's how, that's how I train for, for this stuff. And every once in a while, like, uh, I'll throw in some of my, my law enforcement drills um, just to make sure that, you know, I'm staying abreast of that. And, um, you know, I got one of the one of the courses of fire that we shoot. It's uh, 10, un, 10 unknown distance targets, um, all shot from a tripod uh, in a time limit of 15 minutes. And sometimes we'll add, sometimes the advanced students will add apertures to that. So you have to, you have to simulate, simulate uh, clearing a windowsill or clearing an obstacle in front of you. And I'll put that up and I, that'll really force you to work your tripod. Like if you want to get good at tripod stuff, force yourself to, to get that tripod in positions that you're not going to put them in yourself and, you know, say, hey, I got to shoot over this thing. Okay, cool. So that means I got to get my tripod in a position where I can shoot over it 
um, but then still engage the rest of these targets out there. And man, you start moving your tripod and getting super familiar with the adjustments, being able to do things on the fly, and you're just elevating your familiarity with your equipment, which is going to make you more efficient at your next stage. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's some great stuff, man. No, this is this is a fantastic conversation just all the way around. I mean, pressing that point on safety and then moving into the different elements of competition. You, depending on the training schedule, and I already know that's going to be pretty busy, but where the matches fall in between that. I'm going to try to shoot a couple more. And like you said, the local matches are fantastic ways to get your feet wet, to understand what's going on. No stress. I mean, I think two of the last local matches I shot, I went home two stages short. I hit a certain time on my clock. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go home now. I've accomplished what I'm looking for. And it doesn't matter. Well, and the other thing that you guys also, the listeners out there, realize, too, that there are a lot of um, upper-level competitors that go to those regional matches and utilize them as training evolutions for themselves, too. So um, it's always good to go to those things and, and watch how people are solving problems. Um, figure, and you don't even have to go to shoot them. If you're super apprehensive about it, just go and watch and see see what's possible with a rifle uh, in the hands of somebody that's competent and uh, professional that knows how to use it and, and extract all of that potential from it. You'll be surprised. Totally, totally. And, and for the match directors out there, having an, an RO safety program, an RO little training, I'm guilty of it too. And I, especially now getting spoiled with Carl. Carl's ROs are so outstanding because he uses the same cadre for everything they do in that area. So the sniper size matches being part with Carl Taylor, his people are really switched on when it comes to being ROs. But I mean, if you're a, 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 a new match director out there and want to start something up, Really get that safety point down and understand where the potential hazards will fall. So that way you can address them before anybody shows up. I mean, I always look at them when I'm designing a stage, looking at the safety side of it. I gotta move somebody through this point. I gotta get them here and then move them across here. Where is everybody else on this range? And what, what are the, the pitfalls? So make sure you guys yeah. as, as match directors are looking at that kind of stuff. Hey, when is your when is the Hyde Cup this year, Frank? Tell us. Uh, June twenty second weekend. Um, I think so. It's actually twenty second might be Saturday. Let me take mm-hmm. a quick quick look. But it's uh, um, it's June, and it is uh, twenty one or uh, twenty two, twenty three. Yep. So Friday, right. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which would be twenty one to twenty third. Um, that's when our match is. Um, and we're doing man. it like. Go ahead. Man, you're. <laughs> I just booked. Um, we're 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 teaching a backcountry hunter course that week, that weekend. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of bummed out now. It's uh, it's tough, man. I got Alaska on the week before, and I got Mile High in the week after it. But um, I'm gonna do the match like uh, Clint Sharp does the car setter which is you can mm-hmm. either sign up as an individual or you can sign up as a two-man team. And you'll run sort of the similar, but it'll be almost two-in-one event. So the individual people will compete against themselves and then the, the team people. But um, Clint Sharp has been doing that car setter event up in that Washington area for years this way, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, kind of join in and do part of it like that just to – give people more options because you get a lot of people that want to come shoot the match 
but then don't have a partner. Yeah. So we want to make sure we take care of that. Yeah, the matches are tough, man, trying to fit them all in and, and make sure the dates are not stepping on each other. I get it. It's just so hard with our training schedule. And the bummer is the more we talk about the training we do, the busier we get. Yeah, I, I was when you called right before we got on this podcast. I was I was actually marking all the matches that I'm going to shoot next year on my calendar. I'm going to try. I'm going to I'm going to try to hit uh, 10, 15 of them this year. I'm 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 making a comeback, man. I'm going to make a splash next year. Nice, nice. Well, and and and, and you got you know one of the best guys to, to partner with and work around. You, you guys have a good support team between you and Phil and the stuff you're doing with Gunworks and then. Your private stuff, so I'm sure you guys are gonna gonna eat their lunches come next year. It, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. All right, I'm, man. I'm hey, looking forward to it. Yeah, I kept you on here for about a, maybe over an hour. It looks like pretty long. So um, this has been awesome. We'll, we'll do this some more. But again, th- don't take this, guys, out there listening as a negative. Take this as a hey, we want to do better by everybody. And, and, you know, we're all going to have to work together to make sure that th- these things are tightened up, and, and it'll just make for a more fun event. You know, the, the, the better courses of fire, uh, uh, unique stage designs, make sure everybody's safety, and, and then that eliminates any drama after the fact. If you just have a fun, boring match, there's no drama, you know. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we're looking for is, is, is fun sure. events but boring. Um, anyway, definitely uh, thank you, Kaylin, uh, for being on the Everyday Sniper podcast. Go ahead, and if you got to plug a website or anything besides the Gunworks stuff, um, give yourself a plug. Yeah, man, so, yeah, Gunworks, um, go, go see Phil out there in, in Cody and, and uh, the Level 3 package, guys. The Level 3 package at Long Range University is all field shooting. So this is all stuff that you could consider this an awesome opportunity to get some instruction on uh, running yourself through a stage at a field match. Uh, So take a look at that level three if you want some competition training. Uh, It's a great course. Um, And that's actually all shot out there at Monster Lake where we have our, uh, where we have the Monster Lake Mayhem match. So um, take a look at that. And you know, you LEOs out there, I'm, I'm buttoning up my 2019 schedule. Uh, if you're looking for any uh, one of the three sniper courses that I offer, uh, basic, advanced, and instructor development, hit me up, man. Let's get you on the schedule. Uh, i got a couple of slots left that need to be filled. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. And uh, thanks for having me on, Frank. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, anytime, man. It's, it's always a tournament to have you guys on, and, and I really appreciate you coming on and taking your time away. Uh, we're at the holiday seasons. I probably won't talk to you, but have a, a great Christmas. Uh, Happy New Year, and I'll probably definitely see you at Shaw. Uh, we got the space we'll stuff do. going on. And th- although, didn't they change the um, – are we not doing the Scout Sniper Association stuff at Shaw anymore? Nope, not anymore. It's, uh, it's going to be it's going to be happening at a different time of year, I think, because the association decided that, that it was, you know, quite difficult for everybody uh, outside of the firearms and sporting goods community to make it to Shot Show. Um, it could be, you know, cost prohibitive. So they're looking at bringing it to a different location. Okay. All right. Well, but, but we definitely got the recon sniper party. That's always good at the Webinet Club. Yeah. I, I will see you there. All right, Alan. Have a great, uh, great week, great weekend, and great month, and I'll talk to you at shop. All right, man. Take it easy, Frank. Yep. Later.